I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. There is a city of gold, far from the rat race that eats at your soul, far from the madness and the bars that hold, there is a city of gold. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining us this week to talk about the very obscure Dylan song, City of Gold, is artist and fellow Bobcat, Carl Handel. Hi, Carl. Hey, Rob. How are you doing? Thank you I'm, for having me. I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. I, I've, I've been listening a long time, so it's really exciting to be here. Well, awesome. I hope you enjoy the experience. So, uh, as I said, we're going to be talking about City of Gold, which is really one of the most obscure Dylan songs in the catalog. Uh, in some ways, it's not even on his website, although it sort of is as well. I'll explain that shortly. But before we talk about the song, uh, Carl, I got to ask you the standard question. How did you become a fan of Bob? Ah, uh, let's see. How did I become a fan? I, I'm trying to remember. Um, I think I probably heard a little bit of his music like on the local K-Rock station in the 80s. But that, so his name was familiar. But I remember what happened was the first, believe it or not, the first CD I bought was Highway 61. Because in, 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 uh, in 1989, I had my bar mitzvah in 1989. And my parents, I, they said, okay, we're going to get you a nice gift. This is a big deal. And they got me a CD player, which in 1989 <laughs> is a big deal. Sure, like yeah, yeah. $200, you know? <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> what technology can do to bring yeah, price so down, prices down. It costs $200, a big investment. And, and of course, you remember CDs were expensive too. They were almost yep. like $20. And they yep. came those long packages. So I, I got one, uh, I think I got one CD, maybe two in that first that like like then in 1989 and i didn't know what cds to buy and at the record store which was maybe like a tower records in the mall there was one of those magazines a rolling stone type magazine that had like the best albums and it said the best album was highway 61 it was like on a list of the best i don't know rock albums or and i was like all right i guess if i'm only gonna get one i'm gonna get this one (laughs) (laughs) and that was the one yeah and um, I hadn't, I did know who he was because they played a couple on the K-Rock station. But before that, you know, I was a kid of the 80s. I listened to whatever, you know, Michael Jackson and Tears for Fears, whatever, whatever was popular, you know, because I was in the 80s. That's, that's the first thing. But then when I got, got to college, I had one of those roommates, which probably we all had some, some person who was a kind of like a hippie person who knew a lot more about Bob Dylan than me. His, his name was Andrew Schwartz. And he had all the, the CDs and, you know, so I just started listening to them more, um, you know, more thoroughly then. So when you got Highway 61, I mean, what was your reaction to it? I liked it. I mean, I, I, I loved it. I remember like, uh, I was always, you know, I read, I, I, I was good with words and I loved the, 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 the wordplay, you know, the, the sun's not yellow, it's chicken. I remember <laughs> listening to that when I was 13 and it sort of like blew my mind. <laughs> uh, but probably there was a, there was a lot of things that probably went over my head and it took a little more reading and maybe doing, you know, reading some poetry before I was able to maybe appreciate it more. And of course, it, it, actually a friend of mine had, Oh mercy, this guy across the street. 
And um, I would, I looked at it and I was like, oh, you know, I knew like the times they are changing and Highway 61 and we listened to Oh Mercy and I was like, what the hell is this? Because, <laughs> you know, his voice, I mean, if you only know like 25-year-old Bob Dylan and then you hear what is still apparently now young Bob Dylan in 1989, but I, w- I was just like, what? I didn't even think it was the same person. Right, yeah, right. This is not the same guy, right? This is a different, right? right? <laughs> Is a different guy, and in many ways, it was a different guy. But now, Oh Mercy is one of my favorites. But at the time, it was a, it was a little too strong. I, I, I was sort of on cheddar cheese, and this was like Roquefort. I couldn't handle it yet. <laughs> one hundred and seventy-four episodes in, and no one has compared Bob Dylan's records to different types of cheese. cheese. So, yeah, I <laughs> I like that a lot. Uh, <laughs> so. Well, it, if you think if you think of Bob Dylan's voice as a strong cheese, a, a that a, an acquired taste that once you get around its, 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 its harsh um, exterior is subtle and profound. <laughs> that, I, I feel like we should end the show with that, but I know we can <laughs> at this point. That's a, it's marvelous. That's just marvelous, Carl. So, <laughs> so <laughs> okay. So uh, you said when you got to college and your roommate had all the records, so you were going through all the, I mean, they, you know, was there some era that you were like, oh, I kind of like this. Oh, this one on the tracks. This one's cool. I mean, you were able to, or there, or there, you know, we're going to be talking about his quote unquote born again period. Uh, yeah. Were there any, did you, was Highway 61 like kind of still your favorite out of the ones you were hearing at the time because it was sort of your first or were there other eras of his that were like, oh, this is really interesting. I, I would say, you know, there's so many, there's so many albums that even if you are buying a few a year, it's going to take you a few years to accumulate. Yep. Um, so I, I like the seventies stuff. And then I got really into the um, good as I've been to you because it was, it was the newest uh, world gone wrong. I was in college around that time. So those are the newest ones. And I was really interested in those, uh, but I didn't really get that into the, the born again stuff until a little later that, that, that again, took a little more, um, <laughs> that was a stronger cheese. Yeah, it's a very different kind of cheese. We're going to, yes. we're going to, we're going to, we're going to drag this metaphor. But I knew about it, you know, and it was interesting. It was interesting because, you know, like every, every Jewish kid knows that Bob Dylan is a Jew. And, and then to know that, he was a Christian for a little while. That is always something that stuck in my mind and, and was particularly interesting. Okay. So, um, but in, in, in college, it was more the sixties and seventies stuff. Certainly. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, I said, I can't wait to talk about that, that period because that's, that's exactly what we're going to be covering with city of gold. But I do want to ask you, have you ever seen him live? Yes. I, uh, I seen him live quite a few times. Maybe, I mean, maybe like eight or 10 times. And uh, actually the first time, I saw him live, I think was, I, God, I, I, I looked it up. It was in 96. So it was before, um, before the comeback. And yeah, it was a small theater, like under 2000 people. It wasn't even sold out. It was in Providence. And he played, he played Joey, your favorite song. <laughs> <laughs> That's a strong tease, Joey. Yeah. A, yeah, I remember, I didn't know this song yet. I, I hadn't heard um, Desire. And I remember thinking like, who is this Joey character he keeps droning, droning on about? Uh, but, you know, I was intrigued. I knew about half the songs then. And I remember Jewel was the opening act. And this was a tour I think he was having 
like young female singer songwriters opened for him. I think Annie DeFranco opened for him that tour mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Jewel opened and she came out and they did a duet. I shall be released. Uh, Very was, nice. was the last encore. Yeah. It was really good. Why? Yeah. So why do you hate so, uh, not Sylvia? What was it? Joey. Why do you hate Joey so much? <laughs> we don't, we don't have time to get into that. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't, I look, I let, let's, let's be clear. I don't hate Joey. Uh, I just don't think I just don't like it a whole lot. And of course, when I find something that I think is sort of funny, I just, much like the cheese metaphor, I just ride it into the ground. And so now it's just become a thing on Twitter that I hate Joey with all, you know, uh, all passions, which I don't, I don't, I actually don't even skip it when I listen to desire. I just think, in the in the annals of Bob Dylan songs, it is way, way, way at the bottom of the list of songs. And again, not to get too far off City of Gold, it's not even a song. It's just that it's about someone who is a terrible person. And I have a hard time kind of, you know, bypassing that. It's like, oh, yeah, he's singing this nice song about this really terrible person. But again, that's a song. That's, a, that's, a, that's an episode for another day. But the thing with Joey, I mean, I, I agree, is a terrible person. But I think what's interesting is to think about, like, what about all those folk songs that he's singing on Good As I've Been To You uh, and, and the canon of American music that is filled with, when you think about it, horrible people, because a lot of them are killers. And this is Bob Dylan trying to write a pretty boy Floyd, right? But it's a person that many of us would have been alive during his lifetime because he died in the 70s. So it's like a modern person. You're like, oh, that guy's a killer. And then you're like, oh, Pretty Boy Floyd was a killer too. Oh, <laughs> all, <laughs> all these other people in these folk songs were killers too. And it's not good to kill someone because they took your stats and hat. <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that is a completely fair way of looking at it. It really is. It, uh, yeah. you know? And in fact, I don't think I've ever quite thought of it that way. And just because something is old doesn't mean it's okay just because it's been grandfathered in. So I, I, can play, I, so I will have to consider that whenever we get to a Joey episode. So. <laughs> oh, so no one's, okay, so no one's requested. I'm, you know, just oh, no, no, people have requested it. I'm just, I'm just not- You're putting it off. I've just not, uh, not accepted it at this point, but we'll do it. We'll get to uh, it at some point, I promise. Right. That, so, okay, fair, let's talk about something a lot nicer. Let's talk about City let's of Gold. Let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about yes. heaven. Let's talk about City of Gold. This was a song uh, Bob performed live uh, only 19 times uh, across uh, November 1980 to Ju- July of 1981. Um, it was a song, uh, as far as I understand, never even attempted at any uh, recording session. Clinton Halen, in one of his books, mentions that it was possibly tried at uh, Rundown Studios in April of 1981. But the copyrighted version that was uh, you know, logged in with uh, whatever the, the, the copyright, the you know, ASCAP or whoever, Mm-hmm. Um, it was was copyrighted from a live version, so this was something that Bob, you know, wrote, put on the road, played live just a bunch of times, and then basically uh, put aside. Um, now, of course, it's never been completely forgotten because it was covered by the Dixie Hummingbirds for the Maston Anonymous soundtrack. So right. obviously, they were fan, and I actually like that version quite a bit. So I mean, uh, I have no idea to how much influence Bob had on that soundtrack. I would imagine he had some level of. Of, of you know yay or nay on on some covers so he must have liked it enough to you know say all right let's put the dixie hummingbirds version of it on there but this is a you know pretty obscure song it's still not appeared on any bootleg series it's never been released officially in any way so i'm kind of curious uh why did you want to talk about this song 
Um, wait, was it, was it not on the, I, I probably first heard it on a bootleg, but was it on the, the expanded, um, bootleg series that, that, that had all the, the born again period stuff. I feel like there was one official release of it. I mean, according, it was, to, according to BobDillon.com, it has not been, it is not listed anywhere. So, oh, okay. They, um, yeah, the version I have is a bootleg. Sorry, Bob, but it's a bootleg. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, uh, I, I've heard three versions of it, uh, and I guess we can go. We we'll talk about the lyrics, but why did I like it? Well, I, I think there was. This wasn't the only um, gospel song or um, born again period that I, I would have been inter- interested in covering, uh, but I think that like I was just really interested in this period because. I, I, I happen to like gospel music. So of the three, you know, uh, Christians uh, records, Saved is my favorite. And I think a lot of people think Saved is the worst because it's, I don't know, people think it's the worst. I, I like it the best because I like that he's, it, it's like the most gospel of the three. And there's something about like of all the masks that he has worn, this one to me was like particularly um, perplexing and interesting. And, you know, like he's worn many masks, but this was the only one where he, he took on an ideology and a belief system besides the music, like in addition to the music, or at least pretended to be or tried it on. So that, that to me was kind of interesting as well. And the, um, you know, the performances are fantastic. Like he's there, he's really into it. And whether this song or many of those concerts uh, they're fantastic. And it, I mean, I mean, I'm pretty sure he really believed what I mean, I don't know if he really believed in, in everything in the Bible, but he believed in the music enough to make incredible, authentic sounding, uh, recordings. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, it, to me, it's like the, if he was faking it, boy, uh, <laughs> you know, he's a much better actor than I give him credit for because I feel like, the passion that he brings to those songs is is pretty evident and uh, it doesn't seem like he's, he's faking it. I mean, I would think the music would be pretty um, difficult to listen to. It wouldn't hold up if it sounded fake, if it sounded like he was just putting on, uh, as you say, a mask, but just, he wasn't really believing in it. Uh, I mean, certainly some of the gospel material is some of the best songs he's ever written. And by the way, I love saved. I think that's a great record. Um, I know people talk about that. It, 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 it pales into the live versions of the songs that were done on the road before he recorded the album. It's the only time he's ever recorded an album of songs after he'd already played them all live, but I still really like saved. I think this is just a terrific record. And, you know, this is a great song. I mean, look in the, you know, Bob Dylan has been talking about heaven a long time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they've been writing a lot of songs. You could say Highlands, you could talk about uh, March into the city, Key West, you know, I mean, it's all these places that are off in our imagination that we will, hopefully get to at some point but we're not there yet and so it's interesting to me the the live version that i have i have no idea when it was which version of the 19 times it was played live is is the one i have but it uh lyrically it's very different um well it's not very different but it it there are a lot of changes from the version on the website uh, the yeah. song the song continues there is a city of light raised up in the heavens and the streets so bright Glory to God, not by deeds or by might. There is a city of light. And then he continues, there is a city of love surrounded by stars and the powers above. Far from this world and the stuff dreams are made of, there is a city of love. So I love that with each verse, 
It's the city of gold, the city of light, the city of love. And he's going to continue on. Uh, it's, it's a very simple song in terms of its structure and in terms of the, you know, the idea that it's the same, it's like almost like a list. It's just, the, which is a lot of the gospel songs have, you know, got to serve somebody or kind of the list songs, but I love that he's changing it up with each and he finds a new sort of inventive way to express this idea of going to this place that again, we all hopefully will get to. Yeah. I mean, I have, um, I, I've listened to three versions of it all, I guess, bootlegs and uh, none of them are the, the words that are printed on the website. So uh, I don't know how he does that or how, how <laughs> like, like it's transcribed and then he adds more for the, for it to be registered. I don't know, but um, you know, you just read those first two lines and he doesn't say either of those exactly (laughs) in typical Bob Dylan fashion. It's just different (laughs) when he sings it. And there's that line. um, And then he adds, uh, let's see the first, what does he do? He does change it up like the city and the country. Oh no. Yeah. The second one he goes, there's a country of light Mm -hmm. raised up in glory. uh, Angels will ride something like that. Uh, never no darkness, never no light. There is a country of light. That's the second stanza. And then the third stanza, he does uh, never no darkness behind the stars, beyond the stars above. So that is also not written. And then he does add uh, something that's not in any of the ones. He's got, uh, there's a city of hope. Don't need no doctor. Don't need no dope. Mm -hmm. I'm ready and willing. Throw down a rope. Not the most complex or best Bob Dylan lines ever, but um, Again, I don't know if he comes up with them on the spot, but we have different iterations of the same song. That's the version I have. Uh, the one I have has got, he's got the city of, city of Hope and Don't Need No Dope. That's the one I have. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's funny. Um, when, it, when, I, when you first suggested doing this song, I went to BobDylan.com as I do to, to you know, pull up the lyrics. And if you go uh, to his website and you just scroll through the song list, the A to Z song list, this song does not appear. Uh, it should be right there between Christmas Island and Clean Cut Kid, but it is not. And I was like, huh, this song didn't even make it onto BobDylan.com. That's interesting. And then I just did It is there. But then I did a Google search, yeah. and it takes you to the page. So the page for the song does exist. It's BobDylan.com slash songs slash city dash gold, but it's not on the list. So I thought, well, okay, that's sort of funny. It's The song is there on the website, but you have to kind of really search for it, kind of like the city of gold itself. Uh, it's a little, a little hard to find, um, but it nevertheless is there. And so on, uh, on the version, uh, the lyrics, it continues on. There is a city of grace. You drink holy water in sanctified space. No one is afraid to show their face in the city of grace. There is a city of peace where all foul forms of destruction cease, where the mighty have fallen and there are no police. There is a city of peace. And like you were talking about, it's amazing for a song that only was performed 19 times, how much he kept messing with it. Uh, Obviously, he was, you know, I don't know whether he was dissatisfied with the earlier version or simply wanted to test it to see how many, you know, different versions of this phrase could he come up with. I mean, if you put them, if you would put them all together, my God, the song would be seven minutes long. Uh, all the different you know iterations of yeah. it, but it's sort of funny that he's playing a song that nobody knew, so nobody would know if he was getting the words wrong or not. And yet, of course, he was, I guess, going back to his hotel room every night and still rewriting this thing. But in a, but I think that 
I mean, that's like a very Bob Dylan thing to do, which is yep. to take a simple idea, which I, I think people did know this because it was a hymn, like City of Gold was a Christian hymn that some people might have sung and been And it is, there is a phrase from the Bible, Revelation 21, yes. 18, uh, there, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold as pure as glass. So, so it's, it's, if you were religious and if you went to church in particular denominations, you might be familiar with this, but I think he, it, the repetition, that's what like, that's what hymns or incantation, uh, incantations, is that what the word? Yeah. Where, where um, it's usually quite simple. You know, you kind of say this simple thing over and over again. But of course, he's Bob Dylan, so he has to say it multiple ways and keep changing it. He gets wordy about it because he's Bob Dylan. <laughs> but I think, I mean, how many songs you point to that, that does he write about this very simple idea, which is simple in Christianity, that there will be a better day coming, that times might be hard now, and we might have this burden now, and there's a better day tomorrow. And in this particular song, it's the city of gold, but he could have written about it in other, in other ways. But I do think it is, it is typical Bob Dylan that he needs to just, just make more words than he, he, he can't help himself, but to make (laughs) many different words and many different stanzas of the same simple hymn. Yeah, it does have, it is right. As you said, it is definitely a hymn. And, and yeah, when you're writing hymns for, large large numbers of people to sing you don't want it to be complicated you don't you're not trying to get people to sing visions of johanna they're trying you want to do something very simple and the um i love the use of the backup singers uh, Mm -hmm. for this song and the 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 keyboard playing is marvelous i love that kind of you know or or you know uh, church organ sound uh that the keyboard player is is putting across in the song where he's behind bob and he's playing that you know he's got those the, the tune sliding up behind him. But I love the backup singers You're singing along, singing the chorus, but then also kind of humming along with them. And it really, uh, there was a, a, a quote about it from the, the late great Paul Williams who wrote a lot of great books about Bob Dylan, where he said he felt when he heard it at the time, he said that it was one of, one of the uh, rare Dylan gospel songs at the time that was as in, in, and this is Paul Williams's view was like a positive vision that it wasn't so much about wickedness and falling and souls being damned or whatever. It was a more positive view. Now I would argue there's lots of positive stuff on saved. Yeah. This is from around this time. There's positive stuff on every grain of sand, but I also know when you hear some of the other songs that Dylan was singing uh, that never made it onto records like cover down breakthrough or um, ain't going to go to hell for anybody. Those are more about, you know, getting damnation or, fighting the world uh, due to your beliefs. But City of Gold, I mean, even you don't have to be Christian to get behind this notion of there being a better place that we all want to get to. Uh, it doesn't, it, and that's one of, the, one of the things I love about the religious period is that I can transpose a lot of, the, a lot of that stuff for my own life and it doesn't have to do with the religion, really. Yeah, and the way that when he was doing those concerts, I know right in the beginning of... of- like in 79, he was just doing Christian stuff, but fairly quickly he was mixing up uh, his own songs with the new songs, the Christian songs. And when he played this one, it's always, I, I looked up of the 19 times, he's always doing it in the, in the encore, usually the second to last song. And then he does one of his songs right at the end. And the way those concerts were structured, they were kind of like 
the conflation of like a religious service slash rock show and the connection between like people in church and having a kind of religious experience with the words and the music is not dissimilar to what a lot of people feel at rock shows when they really get into it, which is this kind of moving spiritual experience with the words and the music. And I, I really like in, in the way he conflated the two and the way, I mean, in the, in the audience, I know that we were talking like, like in, po- in, in popular notion, people felt betrayed by him or were angry that he became Christian. But those people in the audience are really liking it, at least on the bootlegs I heard. And they seem to have no problem or understand the connection between those two things, between like the, the, um, the kind of benediction he offers with this song and then going right after this into It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, <laughs> which, is, which is often what he paired it with. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I have said, you know, on, on previous episodes that as a Dylan fan that was coming to him long after the religious period had come and gone, or the born again period, I should say. There's a, Bob Dylan's songs have always been religious in one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but it, it was a lot easier to to grasp because it had ended. Uh, yeah. I, you know, and I can only imagine that what what it would have been like to be a fan at the time and then to be living through it as you're going, God, is this, is this what it's going to be forever? Um, as someone. Uh, I mean, he said Bob. Bob is Jewish, and he is sort of, I think, as far as we understand, sort of returned to his Jewish roots uh, after all this. I mean, there was talked about that, like, uh, there's stories about all the kids have been bar mitzvah. All the boys have yeah. been. There was, you know, Jacob Dylan gave interviews where he talked about his bar mitzvah, and it was, you know, everybody thought, oh, that's the coolest bar mitzvah ever, right? And he was like, no, he hired some guy with an accordion. you know it was not he didn't hire his cool friends to come and play for jacob's bar mitzvah but as as someone who is not at all not christian like what 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 is your kind of take on it when you got to it what were you like what is all this or were you just you could accept it for the music and not worry about the content exactly well hmm. (laughs) it was perplexing and it was and and again it, it it like you I came to Bob Dylan, even though these, we, we were both alive when he was making these records, we were little kids. So yeah. it's not like I felt personally betrayed when I was six years old. Right. Yeah. Um, but um, I knew he was no longer a, a Christian when I started listening to it. So I guess he had come back or maybe he never left. I don't know. But um, I, 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 I didn't feel betrayed as a Jew. I didn't feel, I don't have that much of a, that doesn't matter to me that much. It was more an intellectual thing. Like why would someone who clearly, like I knew Bob Dylan was bar mitzvahed. I knew that he had practiced certain Jewish, you know, um, rituals. And if you, you could see certain of those things in, in the songs, why would he become a Christian? And it was a, I had to think a lot about why. And, um, I also had to think that I continue to think why. And I kind of have come to the conclusion that it, he became a Christian for the music. And that's why he went country for the music. And that's why he did any of these masks that he put on, which I don't even know if we should really think of them as masks. I mean, they're masks, but he puts them on authentically. Like, there's, like his, his religion or his God is music particularly sort of like American um, folk and traditional 
and blues music is his God, is his religion. So when he does Frank Sinatra covers, that is him like um, in practice, that is him uh, communing with his God. And the way I now come to think of the Christian stuff is that he was just doing another, exploring more parts of his religion. And they're all of the, all of the masks, because whenever he does a period, it seems very authentic. Like when, you, when he does those folk covers in, in 1992 and 93, they, he is fully invested in those, right? I mean, they're amazing. So, yeah, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like it's a pose. It seems no, like he genuinely loves these things. Yeah, it's not a costume he puts on. He's it, it's really what he's interested in, believes in at the moment, and it also, in some way, like kind of explains to me why, like the the earliest Bob Dylan, why to me it feels a little inauthentic, and why after only a few years he stopped writing what we would call protest songs, even though. Like, I mean, they seem in those early protest songs to me seem a little inauthentic, even though, you know, like the times they are changing perhaps is one of the you know most important songs in world history and that there's, it started revolutions and they're in South America and Asia, there's, you know, student groups and protest groups and anti-authoritarian groups that still listen to this music. And there's probably someone in China who's listening to this and thinking one day, you know, things are going to change. Uh, to me, it feels like he like was doing that early. He was trying on that early music, but he like went to the March on Washington in which he like was there with Martin Luther King, which is incredible to think that he played that gig. But I feel like he went there as a gig and not as a, not as, not that he was against um, civil rights. I mean, I think he was definitely on the right side of history, but I feel like he was there for the music. and. Mm-hmm which now, so why it was so easy for him to then move on from all those protest songs when everyone else who like thought he was like a, a full de, uh, a believer in the cause felt betrayed. But if you look at it like, no, his cause was always music, then there's nothing to be betrayed by. That's a really interesting idea. I never really thought of it that way. The idea that it's almost like the muse is the God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, God, he just saying about that in, in the last record and it's uh, like you know okay to really follow the views you have to kind of immerse yourself in the life that's going to help you create the songs because obviously if you weren't a real believer in say this stuff this 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 born again christianity you couldn't write these songs because again it would sound totally fake mm-hmm. you know it would just, it would sound like somebody trying to write a record to make a hit or something. And it would just sound so inauthentic. That's a really interesting idea that he sort of follows that wherever it goes and that he turns his life over in some instances to that. Uh, that's, a, that's an interesting idea. I've really considered it that way. I mean, yeah, we know that he has been, I mean, he wants dismissed times era change and as like, Oh, just, that's just something people wanted to hear, which uh, to people who love that song, that's incredibly hurtful to dismiss it like that. Like he wrote it almost just as like a, you know, like a dude, like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, the people will love this. I think he was kind of BSing that. I think he wanted to distance himself from it a little. So he thought, well, the way I'll do that is just to act like, oh, I just, I just, you know, I jotted that down because that's what people want to hear. Eh, I, I don't think anybody could create times they were changing unless they really believed what they were saying at a certain point. Because, again, it would sound so horribly inauthentic. But, yeah, these, I mean, these songs that all these songs that he was doing, 
Uh, and the fact that his pen was so uh, active. I mean, not only did he write all of Slow Train Coming and then all of Saved, but then there was at least a whole record's worth of songs like City of Gold mm-hmm. that never made it onto any record. So, I mean, part of it was pragmatically defined and that he needed more songs to fill up a concert. But as you said, after a while, he started working in the old material. And so therefore he didn't have to keep writing new songs, but man, they could have, I mean, just the songs you heard off of the bootleg series for the born again, you could have pulled, you could have created a whole nother record of lost born again songs that could have been an album between saved and shot of love. If he'd wanted to. Yeah. Although you could probably say that about between every album, the amount of stuff sure. that's unearthed. The guy yeah. can't seems to he can't stop. He um, can't stop writing. himself. Yeah, uh, the song wraps up with the, "There is a city of hope above the ravine on the green sunlit slope. All I need is an axe and a rope to get to the city of hope." And then it ends with, "I'm setting, I'm heading for the city of gold before it's too late, before it gets too cold, before I'm too tired, before I'm too old." I'm heading for the city of gold. Now that version, that verse is not in the, uh, the version that I have. Uh, is that, is that verse on any of the ones you have? No. That's, no. I, it's an interesting verse. It's got a, it's got a, got a slightly darker cast to it than the other verses. The idea that before I'm getting it, I mean, it's, it's got a knock on heaven's door sort of thing to it. The, uh, and it makes me recall uh, lost horizon, which is one of my favorite books. Uh, then there were two movie versions as well, because the idea of, uh, that that's a lost city and um, you stay young there forever. And if you leave the city, you leave Shangri-La, mm-hmm. you immediately age to whatever age you were in the outside world. Uh, and so to me, it's, it's got a little bit of that, uh, that, that to it as well. But uh, I said, it's a really interesting song. It was obviously something that he wanted to continue to sort of work on and keep changing. Uh, but then, like I said, as of July of uh, 1981, he left it behind, and uh, there it, there it, there, there it stayed. <laughs> he never, never went back to it again. Outside of that cover with the Dixie Hummingbirds, They've, he's never really interacted with it again. Which is, it's too bad. It's like it's a terrific song. Yeah, but he's got a lot of those that that are uh, so many that I wish he would do that are just did once and then left. But um, yeah, I guess we'll never really figure out why that is. <laughs> the, the, the Dixie Hummingbirds version is quite good. I think it's probably better than his. And, um, or at least, like, it, it, I mean, I think it's fantastic. And a lot, I mean, you've probably heard some of, like, gospel groups cover his, his born-again stuff. Sure. And it's great. And it's great to know that, like, among, and this is the thing about Bob Dylan wanting, like, moving through the American songbook, that Within the hymn book, which, I mean, different religions have their own hymn books, but within, a, you know, a, a, let's say the, the larger idea of the Christian hymn book, Bob Dylan has a bunch of songs. Because any book of songs, of the, any book of American songs, Bob Dylan is going to find his way into it. <laughs> yes, very true. Very true. It's, it's, uh... <laughs> He's, he's written a song in every form possible. So yeah, it's, it's all going to show. Yeah. I mean, if you Except had show tunes, but if he starts doing show tunes, that'll be something. Give him time. Give him time. <laughs> it's going to show up eventually. Yeah. I mean, it, right. If, if you had played this song, uh, if you had seen this, this song in a, in a book of hymnals and it was not uh, ascribed to Bob Dylan, you wouldn't know that it's written by somebody contemporary. It sounds ancient. 
Yes. And it's, you know, because again, it's, it's using the phraseology from the Bible and all these sorts of things. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a terrific song. I'm really glad that I have at least one bootleg of it. I wish that, you know, Bob would, uh, I, it would be great to know if there really is a studio version, uh, somewhere. I mean, the, the, during, it's not on the, um, springtime in New York bootleg series that's coming out in a couple of weeks. Uh, which again, uh, I guess there's only so much material they can cram on there, but that's a shame too, because I would, I, I, I mean, I, this is just my, uh, you know, my, uh, my, my bias or my interest, but like, to me, I would prefer that the bootleg series focus more on lost songs than 17 versions of a song we already know. Yeah. Um, but that is, you know, I mean, obviously they come be records slash Sony music feels differently. Maybe Bob feels differently, but to me, the bootleg, any starting point for a bootleg series should be, well, what songs aren't out there cover down breakthrough again, or, you know, what we should get those out before we worry about hearing another version of, you know, what a Julius and Ethel or something. Although that's a, <laughs> that's a lost song as well, but anyway, no, it's a, it's a really terrific song. And I'm really glad that we finally had a chance to talk about it. I love digging through the really obscure stuff and finding something like this. I don't even, I remember the bootleg I bought uh, back when I used to go up to uh, uh, generation records uh, in, in Greenwich village and Wait, on, the, on eighth street. I wait. I used to buy Bob bootlegs on this place. I think it was on Eighth Street. It was in the Village, like near Sixth Avenue. I okay, no, this one the the generation is on Thompson Street. Okay, uh, and so yeah, I mean, there's lots of bootleg record stores. But I remembered buying this bootleg uh, CD again. Sorry, Bob, um, but I believe it was just called Dignity. He and it gets was just, enough of our money. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you're going to buy every bootleg series. I'll I buy it if this comes out. Yeah, if Bob puts yes. out the City of Gold sessions, I will, I will get it. I but feel I re- like those people at Columbia are like, let's see if they'll buy 16 versions <laughs> of Visions of Joanna for $250. I bet yeah. they will. Yeah, I bet they will. Uh, <laughs> but I remembered buying this this bootleg, and again, I think it was just called Dignity, and it was twenty tracks of just random stuff. Yeah, no, no, no connection, and no song had any connection to any other song. And this was on there, and I was like, "Wow, I've never heard this." And again, I thought it was terrific, and I still have it to this day. And said it's a really fun song. So, uh, thank you for suggesting it. Sure. Now, but have you ever seen um, the? Uh, Bob Dylan playing uh, like this is in the late eighties, early nineties when he's playing on the Chabad telephone telephone. Yes. yes. <laughs> when he's back to being Jewish. Okay. I just, for any of you listeners, if you want to see something very weird, you can see Bob Dylan playing. I think he's playing the recorder uh, and maybe harmonica on one song. And uh, yeah, it's during the Chabad telephone, like in the early nineties, maybe. Yeah, he did a couple of those. There was one yes. where he, there was one telephone he did where he was in a, the band he was in. I'm doing air quotes. Was called Chopped Liver. Yes, and uh, Harry Dean Stanton is playing Harry Dean with Stanton <laughs> was the leader of the band, and Bob Dylan was backup. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine uh, somebody watching that, you know, at home watching this telethon, and then just kind of half dim, like, what? Who's that? Yeah, but the guy running it seems like totally not starstruck. He's like, this is just some other like some other yodel from LA who's, who's going to try to raise some money and get this guy on. He does not seem to care. <laughs> it is interesting that Bob Dylan has not done I, maybe it's like an album of like Jewish songs. 
I mean, they, they, you know, there's a cannon for him to pull from. He's done them here and there. But, I mean, yeah. you could, if he wanted to, he could pull out a whole album of Hebrew songs, right? I mean, there's a, there's a lot to pull from, I would imagine. He could if he did the whole Christmas stuff. But I think one, one could argue that, like, like maybe uh, there's quite a few, like, Old Testament theme songs throughout uh, the canon. And maybe he doesn't need to do an explicitly, uh, you know, Jewish-themed album. Maybe so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like I said, I think Columbia Records probably has their limits at a certain point of <laughs> like the uncommerciality of what he's, what he's doing. He's like, I'll record two records of, of uh, folk songs in my garage. And they're like, oh, all right, okay, we'll <laughs> put those out, Bob. So, uh, okay. Well, I said, as we're, as we're wrapping up here, before we, we finish, I have to ask you the question I've been asking everybody lately, which is if Bob decides to go back on tour and hopefully he will be doing that soon. Uh, he comes to you, Carl. And yeah. he says, uh, okay, Carl, uh, what song do you want to hear? You're, you got, here's tickets to the show. Uh, you're going to go see him in LA. Uh, what, what song do you want me to open? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. I knew you would ask this. Well, and, people have been uh, cheating lately because they've just yes. been naming the song that they're there to talk about on the show, which is cheating a little bit, but okay. okay. Well, I, I, don't, I actually don't want him to do this song because I think <laughs> there's probably 15 songs I'd rather hear him do. But... I think I would love to hear, and it might happen, he might open with this, would be Goodbye, Jimmy Reed, oh, which yes. is amazing. It's one of my, maybe my favorite off that album. But I, in thinking about it in relationship to what we're going to talk about today, I realized, in essence, it's the same song. It's the song <laughs> of him conflating his God, which is music, with religion. And because, you know, it, and that's what the lyrics are in this song. You know, it's all about praying and of all different religions, right? Where the Muslims, uh, what is it? The Jews and the Muslims. Muslim, where the Muslims Catholics all pray. pray. I, can sp- yes. I can spot a prati from a mile a prati. away. A prati. I had to look that one up, <laughs> what, what a prati was. But um, yeah, I think that is such an amazing song. And for Bob Dylan, like Jimmy Reed is one of his, is an apostle. And it's and 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 he's singing a hymn he's singing a hymn to to one of his saints that is uh, that is a great choice and yeah that's i've we've been talking about this since the song came out that song is going to crush live yeah that is going to be so fun to listen to and a good chance that he'll open with that uh, yeah he likes I, those upbeat ones yeah that would be oh man that would get people on their feet that would be would amazing be. That'd be would be amazing to hear that's a that's a great choice that's a fantastic yeah. choice so well, we'll, I really uh, hope we get to see him again uh, hopefully again we keep hearing these rumors that he's booking dates here and there but uh, you know until i see something on again bob dylan.com uh I'll, I'll, i'm not holding my breath we'll, we'll find out and again i want bob to be safe there's the delta variant flying around stay safe bob yes. you don't want to go back on the road if you want to just do these weird movie concert things that you've been <laughs> you want to do shadow kingdom two three and four go right ahead that's fine i i'm, I'm willing to 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 not see Bob live if that means keeping him keeping him safe. So do you get um may, may I ask you a question? Do you get any time one of the other people from his era, like when oh, Charlie Watts just died, I get these pangs of fear. Charlie Watts is the same age as Bob Dylan. Charlie Watts is uh he was one of the guys who like the people who used drugs and who like did all the rock and roll stuff, they died a long time ago. The healthy people who ate kale are the ones who are dying now. And that's Charlie, who we know was like the least rock and rolly of the Rolling Stones. <laughs> yeah. And I think, oh God, 
and I get this like feeling in my gut, like I'm about to get dumped or, um, you know, get really bad news. <laughs> so I don't know if you have that ever in your daily life, this fear, sure. oh, Bob Dylan sure. dead fear. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, at a certain age that people get to you're, um, I, I hate to use the phrase like you're living on borrowed time, but uh, you know, there are, once you get to a certain age, it, you, it becomes not remarkable when someone passes away at 80 years old, you know, uh, it, it just is, that's a, that's a grim thought, but it, it's just, it's just the truth. I, my father, uh, as of this recording is 88 years old and I am, I say to him all the time, we are just so thankful that he's still with us. Because a lot of people don't make it to 88 years old and, no. and still in the shape that he's in. And he's still, you know, he's still there. Uh, and we're very fortunate that, that he's still with us. So, yeah, obviously, when all these people, I mean, I've, I've talked about it in previous episodes, it's got to be tiring for and very disheartening for Bob to see so many of his contemporaries go away. That's got to mm-hmm. be a lonely feeling. I mean, uh, you know, good Lord three-fifths of the Woolberries are no longer with us. You know, uh, even the junior member is not with us. And that's got to be very melancholy, more than melancholy to, to see that happen. So, yes, anytime, you know, there's some there's some news. And so uh, there was that thing on Twitter where somebody took photos of Bob, like, walking the street in Los Angeles, and it was, like, the first actual proof that he had made it past the coronavirus because <laughs> he was just walking on the street. And I was like, thank goodness. Great. Yeah. Good for you, Bob. You know, I mean, for for how much, how bad he seems to have treated his body. I mean, we know he smoked for a long period of time. and Yeah, he smoked about a million cigarettes. Yeah, and, and obviously uh, living on the road is a hard way to live. He's, he seems to be very durable. Uh, thank goodness. And and so, yeah, I mean, I, I obviously want to go back to see him, seeing him live. But uh, if it is any way something that seems risky, uh, then don't do it. Don't do it. Just stay home. Do the shadow, hire more actors to pretend they're playing instruments and just do the shadow kingdoms, Bob. I mean, that's, I, I want him to stay safe more than I want to see him, see him live. So, yes. uh, so anyway, well, Carl, thank you so much for coming on. This was really fun to talk to you again. I, I love it when somebody mentions a song that, that obscure uh, in the catalog is it's a, it's not a song that people are ever going to be talking about too much. So thank you so much for doing this. Um, thank you for having me. It was a, it was a pleasure to be on and I love listening to your show. So this is an episode I won't listen to because I'm on it, but uh, uh, next week uh, I'll get back to listen to your show. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't have that. Uh, <laughs> I don't get to do that. I have to listen to my <laughs> stupid voice in every one of these as I go back and edit them and process them and stuff. But uh, so why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Well, uh, just my name, you can Google my name uh, or I have an Instagram, which is at Carl Handel, which is K A R L H A E N D E L. And I'm an artist, and I, I have made a few Bob Dylan-related works. I mean, I, I, you know, fan art is pretty bad, so I don't do that. But I make just enough, you know, he is part of, like, global culture. So I make just as much Bob Dylan art as I can without being silly about it. So you might be able to find one or two things online. All right. Fair enough. Um, so, of course, everybody, uh, if you want to find back episodes of this show, go to our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan and any podcatcher of your choice. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And there you're going to lock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krug, 
George Doherty and Joaquin Meckel for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. And the city, and then, again, we have an implied-to-be verb here, is the city is pure gold. Like, and remember when we have adjectives or verbs of likeness, we have those completed usually with a dative complement. So that's why we have a dative there. What What is uh, the city? It says the city is of pure gold like pure crystal or perhaps transparent glass.